What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and Instagram at TalkLouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, TalkLouderPodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. Today's guest is a man of many hats. Uh, his name is Tom Hazert. And uh, if you look him up on Google, he has done just about everything you can imagine in the music business. Uh, he's owned record labels. He's managed bands. He sort of was in on the early ground level of street teams, made street teams part of the landscape of popular music. Uh, God, what has this guy not done? He's a marketer. He's a producer. He's a writer. He's a journalist. He's a singer. He's a performer. Um, done just about everything you can imagine in the world of music and his passion really shines through. Yeah. He's, uh, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend. You know, I was the, and I, I, I argue with Tom quite a bit on how he and I actually met because I just can't seem to agree on when he thinks that we met because he's going, he says shit like, well, didn't we meet? You know, when you were on Operation Rock, no, I would have remembered that. Well, didn't we mean, and you know, and I'm like, nope, that's not it. Anyway, so I stopped. I stopped asking him, hey, when's the first time we met? You know, I just stopped asking him. Yeah. Um, it seems like I've known, just known this guy, uh, kindred spirit, if you will, just forever. Um, you know, he's never managed my band, but he's kind of roundabout weird way been highly involved for the reason that he put out an igniter record he put out a broken teeth record etc he put out an evil united record so like just pre-pandemic he put out three records from three of my bands yeah and um you know and was interested in working with that and he 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 you know was just he's a booking agent too he's a you know he's which is not that's not even a shocker there yeah um but he's into movies and comic books and books and and bands and and promotions, if you yes. will. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I think that it takes a certain kind of a person to want to do that and to to become successful. The thing that might be slightly different about Tom is he's doing it not because he thinks that the artist or the product, if you will, is going to make him a lot of money. Now. He's doing it because he is this total, this is where you and I come in. We are doing this because we are fans yeah. and we like to, uh, we like the, the campfire, you know, this, yeah, the these are the things that, that keep us warm. These are the things that make us comfortable. And I think that this is, you know, he'll, he'll, uh, you know, he'll let his health, he'll drain himself of every, you know, energy cell in order to make sure someone knows about your band or, or this product, whatever, you know, product X is. And I think that that means something um, for people out there who are fans of music and movies and comics and any pulp uh, of any kind. Um, that's that makes the world go round, and uh, I just think that he's an awesome guy and uh, has helped me 
uh, relax. You know, it's like, well, man, I've got this record. Where am I going to, where am I going to put it? He goes, give it to me. I'll, I'll take care of it. And he's yeah. been there for me for that reason. So it's cool. Yeah. Um, he's one of those guys that get, got into it for all the right reasons. He's a fan first, even to this day. And some of his endeavors have cost him a lot of money and cost him a lot of stress. And like you said earlier, he doesn't go after anything or champion something because he sees some financial potential in it. He goes after it and promotes it because he wants you to know about it because he's passionate about it. And I think people that do that are sort of the the lifeblood of, you know, rock and roll, anything artistic, you know. Um, I love the people that are out there pushing it just because they're so excited about it, they got to share the news with somebody else. And he understands that in order to share the news, you have to embrace technology and you have to understand how the media works and you have to understand networking and connecting with people. And all that stuff just kind of comes along with the original intent of pushing this forward because i'm excited about it man <laughs> well that's tom in a nutshell that you said it a lot better than i did i feel like yeah. because um i mean he should write a book and and the book would end up being a how-to um if you have the right energy you know yeah. and he's got a lot of that i never met him before today but i'm i, I finished up this episode just in love with the guy and i, I hope the rest of you feel the same because you, you can't deny his passion, his enthusiasm, and we thank him for all he's done for rock and roll. But but mostly it's guys like that that just sort of drive the engine, and I couldn't be happier to have Tom Hazard on the show today. Yeah, awesome. So without further ado, another great episode of the Talk Louder podcast with our friend Tom Hazard. <laughs> Tom, you've been a you've been a long a long time friend of me, and and uh, you know there may be kind of uh, oh I don't know a couple of people out there in Talk Louder podcast land who who don't know you. They're meeting you for the first time, so we're gonna just kind of go down a list of like invisible questions and talk to you. Um, how did you how did you get into the music business and and what was it that uh, made you want to get into the music business? Uh, bad luck and bad choices, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I was, yeah, I was obviously a big music fan. I grew up in the '80s when everything was fucking awesome, and uh, you know, I was a huge hey, Andrew Boys fan. As you know, that's how we met. But you know, I, I started as a writer. I, I, I ended up, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote for the Green Bay Press Gazette. The the paper in my hometown had a. Uh, which was a Gana group daily with like 200,000 circulation. And uh, I wrote, they had a teen page. They had a teen page. So I started writing for that. And, but then I realized, I'm like, okay, I'm writing for a 200,000 circulation daily paper. And I just figured out how to use that to my advantage. I, I got a hold of somebody, I think at Roadrunner first, and then a bunch of other labels. And they started sending me stuff and setting up interviews. And I went and interviewed typo negative and sepultura and a, a bunch of and, and then it just kind of snowballed from there you know i figured out how to sort of use that to my advantage and then uh i went down to austin to south by southwest when i was 18 and met a bunch of really good folks there and uh man i think stephanie cabral at the time was a publicist somewhere and i remember she was i don't remember where she was but she was amazing to me she was one of the first people that kind of just gave me carte blanche with her artists and i remember you know, MSO was great. 
um, you know, there's a bunch of publicists that just really welcomed me and, 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 and gave me access to their artists and what they did. And, uh, and then I met Bob Chaparty and he gave me my first real job in the business when I was 18 years old. Writing right. For so let's, app. let's, let's pause there and just make sure that everybody knows who, so the names dropped a second ago, uh, you know, uh, PR reps and PR companies, some of them might be independent. Um, you were kind of rolling around with some of them that you were, you were, you were basically, uh, having meetings with them and, and, and taking care of some of their artists in your, uh, your column, if you will. Right. Yes. yes. And, and then Bob Chaparty comes along and Bob is, uh, <clears throat> the master, uh, of puppets behind, uh, um, everything, everything in the, 80s and 90s. I mean, him yeah, and concrete they, marketing. Concrete basically, marketing. Basically, basically, him and Walter O'Brien were partners. Okay. They managed. They managed Pantera, as you, yeah. I'm sure you know. Yeah. And then they 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 split off. Walter did the management side, and Bob split off and did the marketing side. And, and Concrete. I mean, in the 90s, man, the Concrete Corner samplers. I mean, Concrete had their hands in everything in the, in the late 80s and the 90s. I mean. It was it was unreal. Yeah, my experience with those guys would have been would have been the Toys record, and it would have been early, you know, eighty eight, eighty nine, and it, and we got to go to their offices, and it was like going to a record label, you know, oh, where yeah, take whatever you want and whatever you and they had parties for all the bands, and they, yeah, it was like a, a team of PR management. Um, everywhere you went, you would... Well, and, and let's not forget Foundations Forum, which at yes. the time was one of yes. the biggest events. I tell you, going to Foundations... And, and, and that's the thing. Bob was really great. He's still great to me. My first label I started, he got me my distribution deal. I mean, he's been, you know, kind of my rabbi since I was 17 years old. And, and, and he continues to be a looming figure in, in my career. And I, I owe so much to that man. I wow. couldn't even... I, 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 you know, but yeah, so one of my, my, my first real job in the business was they had a trade magazine called Foundations, which eventually yes. got shortened to just F and he gave me a job writing for, writing for F and, uh, and that was, and then I ended up writing for Metal Hammer and Circus and a, a, a bunch of kind of the more mainstream metal mags. And so now yeah, you're so talking, that, now you're talking Metal Dave's forte because yeah. that was you basically just told his entire story absolutely i was just going to say uh tom's path up to this point sounds very similar to mine it's uh, mirrored yeah exactly i uh i started writing for the college newspaper with an angle towards music and san antonio san antonio. Yeah, san antonio um uh, and then I started writing for the local entertainment tabloid and my, and then I had a music column in the entertainment tabloid. And then I branched out into the, the San Antonio city newspaper, which had a huge circulation. San Antonio is, is somewhere among the top 10 cities in the United States. So that circulation was huge and San Antonio is a heavy metal town. So, uh, I'm pulling down interviews with all these big name artists because there's an audience forum in San Antonio and uh, then I got a degree in journalism because of all this. That was my whole thing. And I hear I recognize some of the names you're talking us uh, uh, MSO and Stephanie Cabral. Uh, I went on to write for Metal Edge magazine for a number of years. 
So yeah, I know that you eventually branched off into a hundred million other things, but I, I, I did. I, I'm, I'm like 19 at this point in the story. And that was yeah. when I, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, up, up to that point, it's funny. It's kind of like almost famous. I watched that movie and I, yeah. I was the same thing. I was a 14 year old kid, like kind of hanging out with all these, but it was really the scene then. I mean, biohazard and life of agony. And there was all these, again, obviously I was in, you know, into, into kiss and dangerous toys and faster pussycat and all the, you know, kind of more hard rock. I, I hate, I hate the word glam, but whatever you want the kind of just more mainstream, cool, hard rock. But then I was into the, you know, kind of heavier stuff too. And there was just such a great scene happening there in the nineties with Roadrunner and all of those bands. And it, it was just a really cool time to, I'm sure you'll attest it was a really cool time to be in the business and be in music, you know? Yeah, I was always envious of that movie, uh, Almost Famous, because I, I feel like I wish I would have started uh, two decades earlier, because in oh, the 70s, in the 70s, you're actually on the airplane living with the band on the road for about a week or two in order to write the story. And then by the time I got started, you got like a 20 minute phoner. <laughs> yeah, it, I think about this all the time. I was just born at the I was just born. at. The, I mean, all the guys I look up to, you know, and looked up to and kind of modeled my, you know, Tom Zutat and and David Geffen and all these, you know, great industry guys and A&R guys, you know, and, you know, sort of producers and guys who developed bands and developed artists. And it's like, by the time I was coming into the business, I caught the tail end of that, you know, and I, I mean, it just, you know, I discovered some great artists and did some really cool things. But man, I just think of the damage I could have done if I would have been born like 20 years earlier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I used to, uh, I remember too in the day, and, and you can, you'll understand this as well. My friends used to, you know, huddle around me and go, okay, we know you were supposed to interview so-and-so. When's the article come out? Because the only way you're going to hear what James Hetfield has to say is if you read my article in the newspaper that week, because there were no, there was no internet and no, blogs and exist. podcasts, and you couldn't, you couldn't tweet. Hetfield and this sort of thing. So you were sort of the gateway between the artist and the fans, you know, and it was Absolutely. kind of, it was really cool to sort of be in that position. Absolutely. And especially, you know, be, being, you know, a kid, it was just like a dream, man. You know, it, it was weird because, and this still kind of comes into play today. I think there was like this wall between artists and consumer in, the, in 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 that era and like they weren't as accessible as they were now and i think that's kind of taken away some of the mystique of the rock star that's why i think those guys from back then are still held in a certain regard and it's just because there was that at one point in time you know it's it, there was a different a, a, a different mystique to the yeah. artist fan relationship then that doesn't really exist now because of the internet and because of the constant 24 hour access. And, you know, it's just a, a different, yeah. it's just a different yeah, kind of thing. If now. you want to, if you want to know the, you know, what's happening between uh, Corey Taylor and machine gun Kelly, you just press a button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't even press a button. It gets force fed to you. Anyway. I don't want to know. I don't care. I don't want to know mm -hmm. about it. You know, as long I don't as either, but I still do. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's uh, I think that that's basically honorable by way of you were you were reading the fine print on the back of your records and CDs. You know, I, know oh, I was. You're, you're a little bit younger than than I um so you you know i said cds 
Um, so you, you know, you were, you were actually rubbing elbows with, with people who you were fans of and, and handling it and, and, uh, making connections in a lot of cool ways. Um, w were you, uh, cause I'm, you're a singer and you're, you can write songs and you're uh, Dude, definitely, I never, you know, here's the thing when I was like 15, you know, it's funny. I was looked up to artists. I really looked up to artists, but I also, you know, I, I, again, I looked up to guys like, you know, I'd look at my CDs and see who the A&R guy was, you know, mm -hmm. Tom Zutat or, or Johnny Z. I mean, I mean, and, 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 and God rest his soul. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Horrible this week. You know, I'm yes. wearing so, my Metallica. I'm, yeah, I'm always trying to buy yeah. Metallica and everything Johnny did, man, and wow. so it's such an honor to kind of get to know him and 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 rub elbows with him. But yeah, you know, I I kind of made the decision when I was 16, 17 years old. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna kind of go more to this side. I I played in bands and did stuff up until I was in my late teens, and yeah, at, at the time, I think image was a different thing. And it's funny, I just made a post about this the other day. But you know, and I was a fat kid. You know what I mean? And when you were a fat kid in the '80s, you couldn't really be in a band. You know what I mean? It just wasn't accepted. You know, and in the '90s, it, it got a. You know, I mean, you could sneak through, but again, even when I was. You know, I, I don't want to skip ahead too far, but even in the 2000s when I was getting bands signed, these A&R guys would be like, oh, yeah. and this dude would be like 205 pounds. They'd be like, oh, he's too fat. Like, you know, it was just such, you know. Yeah, I, that's too bad. You know, yeah, so again, I kind of realized when I was young, I'm like, look, I'm going to kind of put my attention on this side. And, you know, later I started making music and doing stuff and kind of getting more in touch. And, and I always kind of develop bands and produce them. We'll get into that. But yeah, I mean, I just kind of had to make a decision and made the decision to sort of go the other way to the, you know, and and, and again, I always, my, my heart a lot was really in A&R and development. And I eventually became a manager from there because that's the only thing you could do. I mean, you nobody could tell you you couldn't be a manager. I mean, that's, I kind of figured out early, like nobody, you know, when you're a young kid coming into the business, I actually moved to LA because Flip Records, uh, my friend, Will, who worked over there, uh, God rest his soul. He's no longer with us, but uh, I, I, so I went on and I did a lot of street marketing marketing stuff for Limp Bizkit and a bunch of other bands and Flip offered me a job. So I got on a Greyhound bus, moved to LA, got there and there wasn't a job. So I went into immediate scramble mode and I just figured out how to do shit and stayed there for 20 years. <laughs> right. Well, didn't uh, didn't you work your way into working for Singerman Management for a little while? Yeah, that that, that was later. That was a couple. Yeah. That was later. So I started. Uh, there's a lot. So I I managed Chimera and got them signed to Roadrunner and kind nice. of helped develop them. I found them on their first EP that was out in East Coast. I actually met them through their sampler guy Chris Pacuza. He was like a 16 year old kid I met in a chat room somewhere, and he's like, "Oh my God, you got to check out my band." and you know, and, and it's funny, that Roadrunner relationship, you know, eventually I became friends with Monty Connor, who some of my first shitty demos I did with bands, I sent to Monty when I was 19, 20 years old. Yeah. He's cool enough to respond and give me some feedback. And we still have a great relationship to awesome. this day. Um, but yeah, so those relationships became really important later. I, I ended up managing Chimera and, and a band called Switch, who I eventually got signed to Virgin, and uh, a band called Depswa, who I got signed to Geffen, and a band called Erase the Gray, who that was when I started working with Singerman, kind of towards the end of 
all of that. They like to race the gray. And uh, we had a bunch of offers on the table and they ended up signing to Universal Republic who did absolutely nothing. And it, it's sad because the songs were great. And Monty really loved it and wanted to sign it to Roadrunner. And, you know, for one, the, the one time I made a decision, I went to a label with a band based on the money. And I realized from that experience, never, ever, ever, to do that go where the love is not the money so yeah at that point i started working with singerman a little bit and got to work with motorhead and and, and some of i got to uh help put together a motorhead tour and uh you know they toured with morbid angel and today or today is the day and motorhead at that time I've been touring with a lot of punk bands and mm-hmm. i said look half of, a lot of motorhead's fan base is metal 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 fans why don't we put them back out with some metal bands and we did so that was kind of my one you know contribution to the to the world of motorhead is i said hey todd let's get them back out with some fucking metal bands and 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 they did and it was really cool that's one of the things that you can always appreciate about about motorhead actually is throughout the legend of motorhead i mean you saw them on festivals with ozzy and deep purple as much as you saw them uh, play smaller things with, you know, GBH or Chromags or whatever, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's like a normal thing. They were like a crossover. Motorhead, you, you don't say this about Motorhead out loud, but Motorhead's a crossover band. Oh, absolutely. When I mean, you, they, when you really listen to what's happening, it's like, shit, what kind of music? Well, it's rock and roll. It's blues on 10. It's it's so many different things. It's like they're not setting out to be a metal band. They're playing blues licks as fast as they can, you know. Yeah, exactly. But in the 2000s, they were kind of more, they were touring with, you know, like Nashville Pussy and, and, and bands yeah. like that a lot, which are great. And I love, yeah. but again, they're missing a whole part of their audience because, <clears throat> you know, and me and Todd had discussed at one point they'd done a tour with Morbid Angel and it was really successful. I'm like, let's do that again, you know, and you know, and there was some other, you know, I worked with, uh, you know, I, I worked with Earth Crisis for a while, and I got to, uh, we gave Glassjaw their first tour. I helped Glassjaw get the Deftones tour because I was friends with the guys in Deftones, and you know, it, it was it was cool, man. I got to really interact with some really cool bands and do some really cool things, and you know, just some stuff I'm really proud of, man. You know, I love Glassjaw still to this day. Now my now my kid loves Glassjaw. We listen to it together, and I go, oh, I gave that band their first tour. Opening for Earth Crisis, right? You know, and, yeah, you know, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so going back to go ahead, Dave. Motorhead, did 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 you work with them on the Hammered uh, tour? I did, I did. Yeah, and- I, I actually, if you, if you look in Hammered, my name is in there. That's one of the proudest moments of my life. I have a management credit in a Motorhead record. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, that tour nice. came to Austin, and I want to say it was with Nashville Pussy. And yeah, I think I saw that too. I was going to mention. The show, the the tour came to the back room in Austin. It was a Saturday night. It happened to be my 35th birthday. I was on the guest list because I interviewed Lemmy. I mean, the planets aligned that night. I will never forget the Hammered tour (laughs) because it was just it was perfect in every way for me. I had and then you know after I knew the venue and the staff in the venue. So after they cleared the venue, they let me hang around and we you know sat with Lemmy while he played the. uh, the one-armed bandit machines at the bar. And so that was a great birthday right there. Lemon Lem, Lem was so great. I mean, I, I, I learned a lot of lessons from that too. I mean, my first meeting with those guys that Todd let me sit in on, you know, I remember, I remember I was more starstruck by Mickey D probably than 
Lemmy because I'm such a big King Diamond fan. Mm. Yeah. And, but I was just like, holy shit. You know what I mean? That's the guy that played on Fatal Portrait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I sat in that first meeting and just kind of like a born a china shop started opening my mouth and spitting out ideas. And Lem just looked at me like I was an asshole and who is this kid? And, you know, it, it, you learn humbling lessons in, in this business, you know, when you I've got go I've, into situations. I've, and, me, I think me and Dave have gotten that same look from Lem. <laughs> who's this asshole look yeah yeah like who who's this punk ass kid who's up in my shit you know right. who invited him to the party kind why of is this guy on the bus yeah yeah why is this guy yeah that's good why is this guy on the tour is what the look exactly well, well for me it was why is this guy sitting at our table at the rainbow opening his mouth so but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay I, you know what i've sat at that table it's, it's great you know it, it, it was yeah, I, I, so many fun experiences in that in that whole time with Lemmy. And I remember one night, and I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly, but Todd goes, hey, walk me over to Lemmy. Yeah, you know Lemmy lived two blocks from the Rainbow. Mm. Um, and uh, Todd goes, well, here, you want to walk me over to Lemmy's? I got to go bring him some paperwork. So we walk over there, knock on the door. Lemmy answers the door in a Speedo. Yeah. Um, just comes out, Speedo, cigarette in his head. Oh, hey, mate, come in. You know, so we go in and I don't know if you've ever been in Lem's apartment or heard about it, but it's like, a, it's like, a, he is a very big collector of Nazi memorabilia, World mm-hmm. War II memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So you walk in, it's just this overwhelming everywhere. Every inch of his apartment is covered in, you know, World War II memorabilia, uh, World, German World War II memorabilia. And then we go and sit down and his girlfriend or wife, his special lady friend was there in a, tiny thong and nothing else just topless huge fake yeah it was it was a very interesting so just sit down and she's just surreal she's just free as can be and lemmy's running around in speedo and i'm just like wow this is rock and roll (laughs) i have never felt more rock and roll than in that moment in my life and i probably never will yeah Uh, (laughs) amen amen to that amen yeah that's a tough one to beat so I want to go back real quick before we move forward. I, I want to talk about Circus Magazine because I, as, a, as, as someone who read that magazine growing up when I was a kid, now you're younger than, than me, um, so you probably started writing for it after I was done reading it. Or So I want to yes. get the ti- time frame. When were you writing for Circus? And, and tell me, you know, maybe your top two most memorable interviews or stories or whatever. Well, well, here's the thing. I started writing for circus when nobody cared about circus anymore. You remember they, it, it was in the nineties. They changed their logo to that kind of generic, you know, like everybody did rip changed their presentation. Circus changed their presentation. You know, the funny thing is I think the only one that never did was, was metal edge, you know, and, 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 and I mean, like Paul came in and, and, and kind of, I mean, made it a little heavier, I think, but the presentation sort of stayed the same, the way they did the magazine. And, but yeah, so it was kind of the early nineties when I started writing for circus. And, uh, you know, the one thing I remember is I gave corn, I went to, uh, corn and Deftones were opening for Ozzy weird enough. And, uh, yeah, I remember that tour. This was before you asked about my two most memorable interviews. They were both on the same day at the same show. So I went to that show. I hung out with Corn. I did an interview with Corn, which was really, they were so excited. It was like their first big magazine interview. This is like when the first record was just out. And then uh, Deftones, this was like two months 
three months before Adrenaline came out. I already had it. I'd got it from MSO, from Christine Ashton, and I loved it, and I was already in love with the band, and I knew everything about the record, so I interviewed them that night as well, you know, and they ended up becoming friends in one of my favorite bands, and same with Corn. But yeah, I mean, so that was a, you know, the one thing I remember from the circus experience was going to that show, interviewing Corn and, and Deftones. I remember I sat with the Deftones guys and watched Corn like in the seats on the side of the arena, and there was nobody there when Deft when Corn or Deftones were playing. It was it was funny, but it was just you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the period for the reference. It was when the first Corn record came out, and when Deftones Adrenaline was. It was kind of in that period, you know, so early nineties, you know, probably ninety. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right on. Cool. Yeah, I, I started writing for Metal Edge around 2000. And as you say, the, the presentation changed a little bit. They used to, Metal Edge used to have this really busy cover. Like they would put every band yeah, with, that was. Oh, it's terrible with all the little. little every photos, band that was yeah. in the issue was all, was plastered yeah. on the cover. And then by the time I was writing for them, they got away from that. They would have like one dominant photo and maybe a couple smaller photos. Yeah. Um, That's the how I the, remember Circus and Hip Parader presentation is they'd have an artist front and center with a caption yeah. and then except the thing was circus they were always terrible live photos which always bothered me i don't know why like they were they would you know rip i remember rip to me was always the the uh dominant magazine because they'd always have a great they'd have those great posed exclusive cover shots yeah. it, was just, it was just they put so much more into like the a magazine. rolling stone Exactly. And where, where circus would just get some live photo of Vince Neil or, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. to me, live photos just are never as cool as having like a cool exclusive. I mean, think about some of the, and, and, and look, there's a call. I have the Metallica hit parader sitting on my coffee table over there. You know, it's like, but think about the iconic rip covers, man. I mean, there is so many and that's what really made that magazine. What it was, was just, yeah. and I, I think rip, was a little more ahead of the curve too. I mean, Rip was where I first heard about Mother Love Bone. Rip was where I first heard about a lot of stuff that the other the other magazines didn't really jump on until they were signed and really starting to happen. You know, I think Rip was a little more probably ahead of the curve too. I mean, hey, I guess Circus was ahead of the curve on the whole new metal thing because hey, we got Corn first, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, listen, let's uh, let's let's jump back into like. Uh, yeah sort of where you are on the map so let's say like maybe the last five years you're in los angeles what's going on in the last five years you're there what what had changed and then what led to you getting back to wisconsin everything kind of changed man la just got progressively more and more expensive and it was, you know the reality is L.A. used to be the center of the entertainment universe, the music business universe, L.A. and New York. Everything was there. And then slowly it wasn't. You know, the Internet mm -hmm. changed everything. People could work remotely. You know, you, you could go, you had to be in L.A. When I moved to L.A., you had to be there if you wanted to be taken seriously in this business. You had no choice but to be in New York or L.A. And New York was prohibitively expensive and inconvenient. And I just liked L.A. I liked the L.A. lifestyle. I liked Hollywood. I liked the whole thing. But that's really what changed is just like the film business, just like everything, everything moved out of L.A., you know, because you didn't have to be there anymore. And the reality is a lot of people didn't really want to be there. And as it got more and more expensive, people started moving back to Michigan or Wisconsin or New Jersey or 
wherever the hell they came from and kind of left LA in the dust, you know? And, and, and so that was sort of, but yeah, I, I had started my label THC music and put out a, a bunch of records, a black light burns record with West Borland. And I was working with Phil Collin from Def Leppard on his man Ray's thing. Um, you know, I was, and that was in the last few years you were in, you were in LA. Yeah. That was literally the last couple of years. Yeah. That was okay. right in the I mean, I moved back to Wisconsin, like, eight years ago, I think, seven, eight yeah. years ago. So I've been back yeah. here for, and, and I actually moved to Florida. I moved to Miami for a year. Oh, uh, Yeah, maybe not not quite a year. I moved to Miami for a while. I didn't like it. And then, yeah, so, and then I ended up back here, which wasn't really my plan, but whatever, you know. I also had kids, which kind of changed everything. It's, you know, so it, it, it's funny. And they still are pissed at me for, oh, my God, you moved us out of L.A., but it's like you just can't have the same quality of life there you can. One day, I mean, though, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's funny because like six months ago, I got a wild bug up my ass and I, was, I wanted to move back. And I asked them, like, you guys, let's move back to L.A. And they're like, no, we don't want to. They'll have, they'll have significant others here and friends and their little cliques. And so they can never bitch again about me moving them out of L.A. because I offer, I wanted to go back and they didn't want to. Well, not that I'm, I'm giving life advice, but it, it's, you know, they were, if they're pissed at you for, for one minute that they're, oh man, you're moving us out of LA. It's the same reason they don't want to move back out there. Oh man, you're moving us from here. You know, it's the same reason their friends and their lifestyle, you're up. But, but they, 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 they were like five or six years old when we left LA. They didn't have any friends or a lifestyle. Oh. You know, they just retroactively see all the things and they got to do like, like my, my, my kids, you know, I took him to see Def Leppard play a show for 50 people at the House of Blues. I mean, they got to go do cool stuff in LA, but I mean, they're just retro retroactively, I guess, looking back and looking at what they missed and missed out on by not being there. And that's sort of what they're pissed about, but whatever. You're really yeah. not missing much. I go back all the time and I'm usually pretty glad to get out of there, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you're, so you're back, uh, you're, you're back, you know, <clears throat> in the frozen tundra. I am. And, and um, it's a very apt and it's very, my feet are warm now. I put my shoes on. Oh, okay, good. I, I, put, I put my Axl Rose cons on. So Perfect. I'm good. You're cool. Cause you're cool like that. Yeah. So what is it? You're, are you in near Green Bay? I am. I am outside of Green Bay. As I told you earlier, I moved out in the country. Yeah. In the is, it current, nowhere. is it currently like 14 degrees or 12 yes. degrees? Or, okay. Yes, it is low double digits. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we woke up to 27 here in Austin, Texas today, which is extremely rare. That's uh, crazy. We had we were iced in yesterday. My son was off school for two days. Uh, so, yeah, um, you think of Texas and all you think about is the heat because that's that's usually the case 11 months out of the year. But, um, yeah, we're, we're feeling a little bit of your uh, your, your weather here. In the, in oh yeah! The, oh yeah! In no, in November in November of last year, I was playing outdoor shows in Texas. For God's sake! Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've worn shorts and flip flops at Christmas and been outside barbecuing. So, oh, I, I wear shorts year round, <laughs> even even when it's. I'm wearing shorts right now. I went out earlier to go to the store. It was like ten degrees. I'm wearing shorts. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not a pants guy, man. I'm just not a pants guy. I, it's just not my thing, you know. Let's talk about the. Uh, let's talk about the, the, Let's let's talk about the uh, the no cover album. Um, no, we can jump around. 
Yeah, Jason kind of brought that to my attention, obviously, because he's on it. And and I honestly, that might be the first time I heard your name, Tom. Well, the, re- uh, the reason that I'm on it is because of this guy that's in the room with us right now. Yeah. So, so tell us, uh, so for people listening that aren't maybe aware, uh, well, Tom, we'll let you tell the story. It's the album's by the band's called Ellison. The album's called No No Cover. And it's basically a bunch of well-known musicians getting together and doing cover tunes. Yeah. Uh, there. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, for a couple of years, I made some music with that guy that used to be in Megadeth and yeah, we did a really cool cover record. Um, you know, we were just going to do a little EP of a couple covers and throwing around a couple ideas and then it turned into a record and then it turned into a double record and, I was like, hey, let's get this guy. Let's get this guy. So we both just kind of had our Rolodexes and started, you know, I got Frank from Frank Hanna from Tesla and Jason and a bunch of other guys to be on it. And he got, you know, Charlie Benante and a bunch of his guys to be on it. And Frank Lombardo. You know, we, I mean, uh, Dave Lombardo. Yeah, Lombardo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a really turned into a really cool, fun record. You know what I mean? It was a, uh, it was fun. It was, it was really challenging to, it was, there's just such a range of material on there. And, and it was, you know, really, and, and of course, you know, it was, you know, Bumblefoot's on a lot of it. Who's great. And I love mm-hmm. Ron and I love making music with him. I've toured with him. I've done lots of stuff with him and uh, Andy Martin jelly from Italy. Who's absolutely incredible. Those were kind of the core of the, you know, actual band, you know, Paulo played drums on some stuff. When I went, just to like fly on the wall for everybody, when you sent me the tracks, um, I mean, I couldn't wait to hear Riff Raff, the Dave Lombardo track. I couldn't wait to hear, um, uh, uh, didn't uh, Gus G play? Gus G played on with, on with the, Andy on the Free Wheel Burn that we did. Yeah. Yes. 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 I, and I couldn't, I couldn't wait to hear that stuff. And and and, and Andy James, who's now in Five Finger Death Punch. Right. Okay. Um, Dave McLean is on the record. Who is? He, uh, he is. He played San, on a few songs from Sacred Reich. San Antonio, uh, Texas alumni. Uh, S A Slayer, baby. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's so right. How, so when you're putting that album together, how much of it is you? Uh, how how much how much of it is you envisioning the songs and then matching the players to the songs, and how much of it is the players coming to you with the song they want to do, kind of thing? No, nobody came to us with songs we wanted to do. Me and David came up with the list of all the songs. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you can kind of tell. I mean, the older 70s stuff is kind of David's, you know, the Billy Idol, Judas Priest, the kind of more, you know, Def Leppard. I mean, look, we both like Def Leppard, you know, Wasted was kind of a mutual choice. You know, but you, you can kind of tell, like, you know, Wasp, you know, the, the sh- shit that I picked and, and the stuff that's a little more 70s and, you know, like not fragile and, you know, Nazareth and the stuff like that was kind of more, Yeah, you the know, sweet. Yeah, that was David's stuff, and my mm-hmm. stuff was Billy Idol and Wasp and Judas Priest and the the heavier stuff, and, and, you know, so it was basically me and him just going, yeah, let's do this, let's do this, and Beth was actually my idea because we didn't have a Kiss song, and I'm like, this will freak people out, so I actually had my friend Tyson Leslie kind of work up an arrangement of it, and I just sang it and sent it to David, he's like, holy shit, so we ended up putting that on there, and uh but yeah, I mean, it was really a, everybody really, you know, Holiday in Cambodia turned out really cool. Yeah. I mean, there was some real, that was, you know, my, 
I, my choice, you know, so. Well, and you got some quality time with Al Jorgensen, uh, you know, and he's, he was a perfect choice to come in and do that Kennedy song. So, well, well, well you know, he actually did the cheap trick song. He did, uh, oh, he did Zane. Abita Zane. That's yeah. right. I'm yep. sorry. Yep. I'm yep. sorry. Yep. Did yep. Holiday. It was it just you singing on Cambodia? That was, that was, that was just me. Yep. That's right. That's right. Um, I I love the I love the record. <clears throat> I thought it was a great idea for uh you know a lockdown, a pandemic. It's like, well, what are we gonna do? We just you know, we're gonna release a record and not tour. Let's make another record and throw it out to sort of fan everybody, you know, cool everybody off a little bit and stay connected, which I think uh is very important. And it was kind of like um sort of like a Oh well, you know it's it's raining on the on the sports field, so the, they can't play right now. So let's you know let's let's hand out free food, yeah, you know, exactly. or something like it was sort of a pacifier, if you will. And I think I just think it was. And it was thank you, and it was a great vehicle for me to kind of show off, you know, what I could do. I mean, it was there's some pretty not easy shit on there you know and yeah. I, again i think it, it was it was cool for me as a singer again to get to i mean the the and the the range of things i i sang on that and unfortunately i haven't talked about that record in so long that i kind of spaced out some of the people on it i wish i had yeah, the I'm, list in front I'm, of me but, i'm glad dave brought it up uh, yeah but yeah, yeah. It, it, it and, and for for people people listening that may not be aware uh jason here is on are you on you're on like three tracks right you do the i, G I think i'm on three uh eat the rich riffraff and yeah. free will burn it. so you do a crocus song a judas priest song and an acdc song thank you tom and, and on uh on riffraff uh tom actually joins you and you kind of do co-vocals or whatever and there's a video for that so that, that people can go and, and find on youtube yeah and we actually did uh eat the rich we did a video for that too and that's Wait, that's more tom than me and i just chime in on the the pre-chorus and chorus and stuff yeah and unfortunately that video never came out um that never got finished it never came out um yeah riffraff is definitely you know it's funny riffraff Originally, Jason was just supposed to do some some guest vocals on it, and his stuff was so cool. I'm like, I can't, I can't beat Jason McMaster singing ACDC. Like, you do this, and that was kind of how it happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it went. It didn't really go down that way. It was like uh, our versions were different, and yeah. so I thought it my, would be my, cool. my version was more Brian Johnson, and your version was more Bon Scott, which is what it That's fair. needed to be. You know, it was That's fair. Well, I saw. I thought the video was really cool uh, because I know that you did it during a pandemic, and I know uh, yeah. Dave, Dave Lombardo is drumming on it. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, four of you guys actually got together, and Lombardo was uh, filmed remotely, and then it was kind of merged together. Is that correct? That that is. That's how the Off Beaters Name video is made. To me, Al and David were in a room together, and Charlie Benante and. Andy were filmed in Italy. So same thing. We had to really innovate to, to make these videos. And yeah, so it was me, Jason. Well, it was me, Jason, Bumblefoot. It was basically our touring band where me, Jason, and Bumblefoot and David were together in a room. Yeah. And then Dave and Andy both were filmed remotely and kind of cut cut into it from their respective. And it turned out really cool. Melody Myers did all that stuff. And she's, you know, me, me and her really collaborated, you know, well in putting those together and yeah, I, I, I thought the work. video was great, and I thought the cover was great, and it's one of my favorite ACDC tunes. So uh, anyone listening out there, go check out YouTube and look up uh, 
I guess it would be uh, you could find it under Ellison Riff Raff featuring Jason McMaster and and Dave Lombardo or what. However, it's yeah. labeled. It's out there, but. Yeah, great choice of song. And, I was and actually looking for one. the looking for the vinyl. I thought that I had it close by. It must be uh, in another stack of vinyl somewhere. But I held up dur during that last rant, <clears throat> which was excellent. I here I have a, I have a I Japanese found... I have a Japanese. Oh, cool. CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah. Uh, I love the cover and then check yeah. off on uh, de debut by Def Leppard on through the I'm night. Yeah. Thank you. And that was all, that was all me and melody. It was my concept and great idea. execution. And yeah, I loved, I, so, I loved it. Was, it was funny when I came out that so many people were like, you know, Def Leppard, do you know, they stole your cover. It's like, no, it's an homage. It's tribute to Def Leppard. We covered a, you know, a song from that out. People just don't get it sometimes. Well, so, have you heard uh, from any of the, have you heard from any of the Def Leppard guys since it came out that, you know, no, they, they, but I know they know about it. We were, it came out on the same label they're on, you know, we we're on ear music, the same label Def Leppard's on, put it out. You know, well, and, you, and you know, Phil Collins. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they, you know, no, they didn't have yeah. an issue with it again. It's, so, it's tribute. It was a fun little, again, we Def Leppard changed my life. I love, they, they are, you know, one of those bands that for me are up here. There's a handful of them that are up here on that pedestal that will never change, man. I, you know, those, those first five records, I mean, were, you know, life changing. <laughs> I yeah. just wanted to throw, you know, we were, we were talking about this, uh, no cover record, the Ellison sort of like Bible of tons of really cool cover songs and it'd be a, a double record. And, uh, Kind of this around the same time uh, on a different coast, I guess we could actually kind of say, uh, Charlie Benanti did this, the Silver Linings record, which I love this. And I guess this is him and his uh, his significant other, his wife, as well as just all of the people that he that he works Carla, with already. Yeah. Yeah, Frank Bello, Dave Brownson, Rob Caggiano, Jennifer Chella, Ra Diaz. DMC, John denies who, PJ, who, who, PJ. who I introduced him to. He actually emailed me one day goes, or texted me one day and goes, hey, can you introduce me to DMC? And I'm like, yes. So that's my little contribution nice. to Charlie's record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PJ Farley, Henry Fleury, Corey Glover, Carla Harvey, uh, Hank Von Held, uh, Jason McCaslin, uh, I'm saying some of these names wrong, Joe McGinnis, Randy McStein, Mark Mingjay, I'm saying that wrong. Marcos Gata, of course. Yeah, Mingi, thank you. Uh, Jordan Ruse, of course. Uh, Snake Zabo, Alex Skolnick, and of course, John Five. Uh, the you, you know, it's so funny too. So many of those guys were supposed to be on no cover or my friends or I wanted to. Corey yeah. Glover, Corey Glover, I don't, I'm assuming you've heard the song Sleeping Giants, one with me and DMC that yes. we did on the. Well, Corey Glover was supposed to sing the bridge in that, and he went in the studio. Oh. His manager at the time, I'd sent him the lyrics, I'd sent him the part, I'd sent him me singing it, like, this is what he needs to sing. And he goes in the studio and just sings some other random thing and sends it back. He didn't realize that there was a dedicated, and I was so bummed because I love Living Color. And I just had this master plan from the beginning of me, DMC. I wrote that part with Corey Glover in mind. And I just had, and, and I was so bummed when there was, it was just a miscommunication, but I was so bummed because I. I love I, it uh, when a good plan comes to get, oh wait. It, it almost did. <laughs> hey, look, at least I got DMC on it and I don't sound bad saying it, but Corey Glover singing it would have sounded way fucking cooler. Yeah. 
Well, so, speaking uh, speaking ahead, of you uh, singing, um, are are you doing anything musically, sort of full time now? Uh, you got? Are you fronting any bands that we should be looking out for? Or? Well, well, look, I, I I kind of retired last year. A bunch of shit happened, and I was just over it. Uh, you know, I you know I just honestly made a ranting Facebook post because I was pissed, and then every music site in the world, oh, Tom Hazart retires. Like, really? Like, I vent on Facebook one day? And then it's funny, and then I mentioned to people, oh, I'm doing this. Like, oh, I thought you retired. It's like, no, I made a venting fucking post on Facebook one day, and the entire world ran with this, you know, ran, you know, it's just, but yeah, no, I'm doing, I've been doing a bunch of stuff. I'm working on some stuff now with uh, Kevin Wood for Malfunction, Andy Wood's from Mother Love Bone's brother. That's, um, that's freaking cool, man. Yeah, I'm writing some stuff with Kevin. I'm going to the studio next week to go track my vocals for that. And, you know, man, I just kind of laid low the last year. I didn't really fucking do anything. I, I spent all this time doing all this Ellison shit that just went in the fucking toilet. I wrote a whole nother record. I got an investor to give us a ton of money to pay for no cover and to record a whole nother record. I spent six months writing that record and... Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, again, I was a little disillusioned. Um, so I just sort of took some time off from That's creativity fine. and from, but now I'm kind of, you know, slowly dip my toe back in. Kevin hit me up and like Andy Wood is like my fucking idol. You know what I mean? Like mother love bone is, you know, I, I yeah, I, I can't even put it into words and I love malfunction. I love Kevin. We became friends you know, several years ago, I've worked with him on some projects and for him to ask me to do that, I mean, and, and he'd heard all this stuff and seen everything I was doing. He's like, man, I really would love for you to write on some stuff and sing on some So I couldn't say no to that. You know what I mean? It's like, like the hand of God himself come down and going here, dude, do this, you know, so he kind of, so <laughs> well, yeah. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about, cause I mean, I, you know, you, you confide in me and you, you've told me a few things that, that, uh may may happen and uh let's see let's see if there's been any fruit on the tree when i ask uh did did anything sort of uh uh rear its head again with the ideas that that you had with mantis from venom or are you gonna still no, you, you, you know that thing sort of fizzled out unfortunately okay. um that's that's too bad yeah you, you know yeah i i think that was kind of a victim of circumstance of that whole other situation okay right right it was just sort of alluded to you know but sure you know, yeah i i'm still you know talking to mark mendoza we're going to do some stuff together yeah, that was my one-two punch the, yeah. the mark, mark I, was, I was actually about to get to that after the kevin Twist, Wood thing. twisted sister yeah and you've been yeah. on his podcast before yeah i, I have and you know what he heard we did tear it loose with eddie ojeda on no cover and yes. he he loved that man and you know the other guy who was on that i loved do you, do you know jacob bunton i'm assuming you do isn't yes, he a texas of course, guy? yeah well J jacob's on there on, he's not on a Wasted. texas guy but i know jacob yeah I, I thought he was for some reason but yeah no, no. he's on there on he did some background vocals on wasted which is awesome and uh yeah there's just so many cool so many cool guys on it but yeah so me and mark have been talking about doing some some uh stuff together which you know i'm excited i'm a huge twisted fan too which as i know you are as well yeah. so those are my two main things musically that are kind of you know I, I i you know was working on some stuff with chris poland i don't know what's where that's gonna go or mm -hmm. if it's gonna go anywhere i mean it was fun to do it was fun to record but whatever it is it is what it is you know but well, uh, those 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 couple of things are pretty mighty so, yeah. um, you know, from from just your buddy telling you, you need to try to follow through those and exhaust those as much as you can, I, I think. 
No, de- definitely. I mean, look, they'll, yeah. they'll all happen. The stuff with Kevin, like I said, I'm going to the studio in a couple of weeks to go yeah, perfect. track of the stuff with Mark. Mark's just very particular and he wants everything to be right. And he's like, look, I'm still working on getting this stuff together to send you. He wants it to be right before, you know, he sent, which is fine, man. I'm, I'm not in any hurry, you know? Yeah. And, and again, in the meantime, I've been doing this stuff with Kevin, which I'm excited about. And, uh, Another thing I've mentioned to you that I'm doing is uh, I'm, I'm involved with a, a festival in Oregon called Guitars Under the Stars, which That's uh, right. my friend Jason's been doing for a handful of years. It's a great, fun festival. And uh, the last two years, he couldn't do it because of COVID. So I'm helping him bring it back this year, but we're doing it as a music camp. It's going to be like uh, the last week of July in Lebanon, Oregon. Um, you know, we were just, even up until last week, we were still kind of going back and forth about, you know, should we proceed with COVID and everything else but we decided to so we're all systems go and we we got i I can't really announce anybody yet but we're going to have some announcements soon and so it's basically going to be like a you know a three-day music camp sort of you know private one-on-one instruction and 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 panels and you know it's cool a couple years ago i did this event called playback independent music expo in tampa and it was you know we had mike clink and dirk from megadeth and uh toby wright and max norman and nice. uh, yeah. a lot of uh, Jason Beeler, who Jason Beeler is definitely going to be at Guitars Under the Store. So I can say that because we already talked about it. And But uh, but yeah, so, you know, Jason Beeler was there from Saigon Kick and who, who's a lovely guy and one of my dear friends for years. And, you know, it's funny after Saigon Kick, he was another one. of the, So he went and started a label called Beeler Brothers and he signed Nonpoint. I had done and I skipped this in the story. I forgot it, but it's so important. So I ended up doing A&R for Jive after I got all these bands signed. Okay. And I think it, I think it was kind of during, actually, they, they hired me. So I did A&R for Jive. I brought them Papa Roach. I brought them Lincoln Park. I brought them all these bands like wow. that they passed on. I mean, I mean, I think I brought them Nonpoint. I brought them a ton of bands that went on to sell, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of records. And they, they passed on, you know, but whatever, I guess it's bragging rights. Right. But uh, yeah, so that was another thing. So I, I'd kind of worked with Nonpoint a little bit. And then Jason, so Jason Beeler ended up, becoming a producer after Saigon Kick. And I was a huge Saigon Kick fan. I still am. But so he went and started, he became a producer. And when I, you know, got switched signed to Immortal, we had like a $500,000 budget to make the record. So I hired Jason Beeler to produce it, who had just done the first non-point record and Toby Wright to mix it. And both of those guys, funny enough, you you pay somebody $200,000 to make a record. They end up being your friends for life. Who knew? Well, yeah, <laughs> I would imagine so. <laughs> but, but, but still, Toby, to, Toby, and Jade and Jason, you know, they're both dear friends of mine. And honestly, I think both of them are going to be at the event in, in uh, at the the camp in 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 July. But uh, yeah, awesome. so it, that that was a fun story, though. I, I was a huge Allison Chains fan, so I got to hire Toby to mix it, and I, you know, I got I got to work with Jason and got to hire him to produce it. And both those guys have been dear friends since, and I, I. I love them both dearly awesome. I, wanted, I wanted to ask uh I, I want to go back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago and, and i don't want to dredge up any no. any, any bad blood um uh, because just from an outsider's perspective I, I get the sense that there that things are not all copacetic between you and ellison anymore and i don't need to know the dirt behind that but no. what, I, what i wanted to get back to was you sounded like you almost had a second no cover type album 
uh, in the can, like fully invested a lot oh, of original, all original. No, we, had, we had a full studio original oh, record. Okay. Original. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but, yeah. So my, my question is, um, you put a lot of legwork into that and you had a lot of momentum going and a lot of interest from, from players and musicians and that sort of thing. Is there any chance that that would be salvaged and released at some point? Probably not. Unfortunately, you know, David went and, you know, I, I, I mean, look, yeah, there's, I, I had actually announced before David's whole issues last year, literally a couple weeks before that on Mark Mendoza's podcast, I had actually announced that we weren't working together anymore. We just kind of went our separate ways. I, I had heart failure a couple of years ago from all the stress of dealing with all the bullshit. And I just was done with it. You know what I mean? Like I died, you know what I mean? At that point you, you start reassessing, relationships in your life, situations in your life. And, and that's, that's exactly fair. what I did. You know, that's yeah, exactly that's what I did, you know, and, you know, certain things that caused me too much stress and I, I had to sort of just move on from. And, uh, but no, I, unfortunately I, I really don't. I, I mean, the reality is the stuff was too heavy for David. He didn't like it. David likes journey. David likes Toto. David likes, you know what I mean? David's, you know, and the, the record, I don't want to say it was new metal, but it was very contemporary crossed with like really heavy guns and roses. I mean, it's fucking awesome. The record's awesome. And the songs were awesome. And there was some, song, you know, there's some songs on it that I wrote pretty much straight out. Some of it, me and him wrote together. Some of it were little parts that he had that Andy put together. And then I kind of pulled them apart and re it was a lot of work. I put a lot of, lot of work into it and uh, a lot of money. And yeah, unfortunately I don't, think it will you know some of the songs i found out after i spent tons of money working on them he went and redid some of them with vocals with somebody else and i'm just yeah i i don't know I, and it still and it still didn't come out yeah yeah i i, I mean i mean like i have you know i'm not gonna bad bad talk anybody but you know i i moved on from that situation and i love that record i love the stuff i wrote with him i mean it's literally yeah. some of the most brilliant shit i've ever written in my life lyrically i think you've heard it jason i think yeah I've yeah it. you you he said the me rough a, you know and a couple of tracks that were rough mixes in it it was recorded extremely well uh it was like a 2.0 of the the giant the sleeping giants you know the the first elson record i feel yeah. like um something could have something you know that could have been the next step right yeah well there, well there there was there was so much momentum and so much stuff and you know and david had his personal things that happened and 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 whatever which i never commented on and i and i won't that's between him and his family and yeah whatever but, well, but yeah it was i mean it was really a next level i mean look the stuff on sleeping giants you know it was cool but the stuff i wrote on there i was never really that happy with it was kind of like sort of i was just figuring out how to ride the bike again and still a little wobbly. I mean, this stuff, every lyric hit, every note hit. I mean, there was nine part harmonies. I mean, it was really like next level compared to the sleeping giant stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I appreciate your honesty there. I, I was just curious because it sounded like a, a really worthwhile uh, project and I was just curious if it would ever see the light of day. So, well, I mean, I mean, I'm bummed that it probably won't. I mean, cause again, I obviously I have an, an affinity for it and the material sure. and but the reality is David just never really liked it. It was too contemporary for him. It was too heavy for him. It was just not David hates contemporary hard rock. It's just not his thing really. You yeah, know what I mean? I, so, I, I think musically we were just on, the pages we were on were just different 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. you know a, cover, a cover record you can do because you're just doing covers. You know, I don't want to get into doing original stuff and, you know, whatever, you know. And But, yeah, I just... Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope that that uh you know you'll you'll continue writing and that you'll you'll also just you know make your own way yeah yeah and and again it's not really my priority it never was i mean it's one little part of me and and i enjoy writing i enjoy you know i i just like to do it for the release you know i mean we're men man we can't cry or talk to people or like you know what i mean it's like the one emotional release and and before you know, I've written a lot of records for other bands. I've produced records where I've written 98% of the record for bands before. So I've always just kind of used that as an outlet. And it's nice to have a voice. And, and and again, to me, I just use that as an emotional outlet. I mean, that's the one thing, you know, I miss having and I need to do it for is A, to communicate with people and get ideas across and, and just as, you know, an emotional dumping ground, you know. Well, the kind best- of the best thing about you, Tom, that, you know, we've known each other for years now, then, and I have to say the best thing, other than the knack of uh, many talents that, that you have, is that at the end of the day, in most of our conversations, it, it always ends with the same damn thing. And that is, you're a fan. Yeah. You love yeah. music, all yeah. kinds of music. And, uh, you know, it shows in, in, uh, in your projects and, and in the way that, you know, like you're a guy that will start a label so you can put out your friend's bands and you'll go yeah. broke doing it because of yeah. the love of the game. Yeah, well, and that's it. And that's what I did. I've done it over and over again. I mean, look, that's right. EMP, EMP was just my THC label with a different name slapped on it and David Ellison's credibility. That's all it was. I did all the work. I paid for everything. I raised, you know what I mean? I, you know, as, as much as people say David Ellison's label, it was my label and you were on the label and you know that, you know I mean? Yeah. It was like, it was a partnership, but I did the work. I kept it alive. I kept it going. I, you know, you know and again, that's what, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not even going to miss words. That's what fucking killed me. That's, you know, the stress-induced heart failure, that's where it came from, man. You know what I mean? It's just out of my love for doing this, my love for the game. And it's just like, you know what I mean? It was just, you know, I, I you know. Oh, I, some, I, sometimes the things that you love doing, even if they're dangerous, if they're not healthy, some of us still, you, know, you got to know when to unplug. So Yeah, well, that's it. And that's what I did, so. Yeah. Let me ask uh, you, Tom, because you, you've obviously you've obviously worn many hats and, and you've you've, as far as I can tell, touched on and worked in almost every aspect of the business. Uh, tell me an aspect of the business that you haven't worked in that you are interested in exploring. What else is out there for you? Oh, that that's you a haven't, good question. That's that you good. haven't been involved in because you've been involved in friggin everything as far as I can tell. I'll say I'll say this. The things that I'm interested in you know, that I haven't been involved in or I'm, I'm expanding to kind of fall outside of the realm of music. You know, I, 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 you know, excuse me. I just started working with a really great photographer named D Stevens, who is, you know, he's a, he's a really famous photojournalist, but he also is like the still photographer and the unit photographer for boys in the hood and love and basketball oh. and all these classic, you know, he had, you know, he did all a lot of Chadwick Boseman's, you know, oh, Get On yeah. Up. That, okay. And, uh, you, you know, a lot of Chad Boseman movies and shot a lot with him. But he also, you know, was a was a wartime photojournalist. And so he's got this massive 
collection of photos and, and, and this massive archive. And I just started working with him in sort of a management capacity to kind of help him maximize and exploit his archive. You know what I mean? Doing NFTs and gallery shows and, and, and certain things. So there's, you know, and, and, and again, I've always had an interest in more the tech sector. One thing we didn't really touch on was, you know, one of my main thing that kind of set me on my path in the music business was the street marketing stuff in the, in the 90s when the internet first came out. I mean, so street teams had existed in the hip-hop world for decades, you know what I mean? But it was, it was a different thing. They'd have a couple field reps in different cities that'd give them records and whatever. But I started bringing the internet into it, and Immortal Records at the time was kind of doing it in-house with some of their bands, and I had worked there. And then I started doing it sort of on a freelance basis. So... You know, I met Limp Biscuit when they were really young in their career. The first record wasn't that They only had a demo with like three songs on it. They were out touring with Corn. I kind of went to a bunch of the shows. I was friend of the Corn, befriended the Limp Biscuit guys. Kind of told Fred what I was doing. He's like, and and uh, I had a company with my my partner Eric at the time called Loudside. That was Blabbermouth before Blabbermouth. That was in the new metal era. Like we were the go-to for news, for new music, for anything. There was nothing else. Blabbermouth didn't exist. None of this stuff existed. It was just Loudside. That was pretty much it, you know? So we kind of, you know, so, you know, I had started doing some stuff. And again, so I worked with Limp Bizkit and Cold and Stained. And that's how I, I, I interacted with Jive. I worked on a Tupac record for them. And uh, the first, two head PE records. And that was kind of what led to my A&R stuff with them. And, and then, you know, a bunch of other companies, guys with big money jumped on and started doing it. And the street team revolution began, but that was kind of my biggest contribution. And really what led to everything I did after was the, you know, kind of progressions that I made with internet marketing and, and combining that with lifestyle marketing and, 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 and sort of, taking it to the streets. And there was a period in the nineties, early two thousands where you couldn't go to a show without 15 kids trying to hand you shit. Well, right. I, I mean, I am definitely right. one of the people responsible for that. Basically you know? gift, ba gift bag. You walk in you walk out with a bunch of, forgive my French crap. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah stickers oh, yeah. and CDs and, you know, in a baggie basically. But it yeah. was part of the, it was part of the and landscape it, at the time. I mean, yeah, it, was, it was. Yeah. And that, yeah. And then me and my partner went in with another gentleman named Danny Ostro, and we uh, joined his company, and we, we created this company, Total Assault, that became basically a mainstay in, in that world, and I was there for a couple of years, and then I split off and started doing my management stuff. So that was another kind of big chapter that we sort of left out there, but, you know, that was, you know, I mean, I still got... So I got platinum records hanging on the wall behind me. You know so what I mean? You're going to use these skills to basically uh, sort of channel into this uh, this photographer. Photographer. Oh, yeah. And I, and I always have. I mean, that's sort of what I did. That's what I did with my label. I mean, so I've done with every label I've been involved with when I've ran five of them. You know what I mean? It's Again, I, I sort of channel those ideas and, and, and yeah, take them. But the great thing about them is, you know, I've, I've kept on top of the technology and the, the, the you know, the marketing and, and, and how things move and the Spotify and the Facebook ads and, you know, and again, the tech, the tech side, the whole point of that detour there was I've always been really interested in the tech side of what music can do of what art can do 
And there's yeah. so many exciting things going on with, you know, NFTs and, and cryptocurrencies and, 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 and I'm working on some comic book stuff, which is really cool. I've been bugging you. I started writing, trying to do a dangerous toys comic. And we did this other comic, uh, uh, other comic that's really, really, really cool called Dark Mercy that I'm working on. So, again, everything, you know, I love all these things, comic books and movies and photography and art and different things. And I try and just, you know, now I'm just kind of trying to dip my toe in all of them and just see what's out there. And, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years, man, and I'll keep doing this. But I just want to, you know, see what else is out there at the same time, you know? Yeah. I, I, for those that aren't watching and are only listening, I'm grinning ear to ear right now because I just met Tom and your passion is uh, contagious, man. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable the energy and 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 how, you know, the, the, the reach of your tentacles is crazy. I mean, you're into everything and you're into it to the max. And I, I just love that. I think that's awesome and i love yeah, that you're embracing technology because harnessing it is obviously the way you're going to get things done today and moving forward and old guys like me i mean i barely know how to work this microphone to do this podcast you know but uh but you're you're right if you're gonna if you're gonna make waves in the business you have to sort of embrace that stuff and harness it and master it and i love that you're applying it to every aspect of the music business and now you're branching out into other avenues I appreciate that. I mean, I think that's kind of, I've always pushed the envelope. I mean, I was really, you know, internet marketing started as me and a bunch of my friends in corn chat rooms telling people about Cold Chamber and about, you know, Head PE and about these other bands that were kind of, it really was, that was kind of the beginning of oh, it, you yeah. know, and, and, and it just kind of branched out from there to these more formal things that I started doing. And then later streetwise started doing and band bitch started doing. And, you know, then I brought those kind of concepts to total assault, but I mean, I ended up working on records for Lincoln park, nine inch nails, methods of mayhem, which was actually surprisingly fun. You know, we worked the first crazy town record, which blew up huge. You know, I mean, yeah. that era people discounted, but that to me, the new metal era was the last era we will ever see a band, new bands getting that big. It's just not fucking possible anymore. I well, mean, you have to think. Let's a band that a band that I um, am am a fan of. You know, off off and on, uh, and I have a bunch of their records. Is Machine Head? So not yeah, to go. You know, this is of course my. I was, uh, you know, I had stock and in, invested in machine head because of dave mcclain was the yeah. drummer for 23 years yeah but but on top of that the fact that the era that you're talking about all of this stuff you know you're talking about being in in a, a corn chat room where someone's handle was probably lapd you know what i mean oh, yeah. Corn oh, was yeah. LAPD, and they're talking about all that stuff and you're like oh well this person their handle is they're they're obviously a fan you i can tell them about cold chamber i can yeah. tell them about machine head i can tell them about well machine head is one of those bands that kind of like corkscrewed in yeah. some weird fashion well there's a funny thing there was a time in in that period in the 2000s i remember i was I gonna to say and, and got fairly big especially in europe well uh, but, but there was also so i used to hang out with steve richards a lot who managed slipknot and he, he's no longer with us but uh him and his brother gary gary ran 1500 records and worked with god lives underwater who i ended up working with a lot but you know there was a period in the 2000s when machine had 
couldn't get arrested. They couldn't get a record deal. They were off Roadrunner. They were sending her on demos. Nobody would sign them. And and they kind of fell into that new metal period with the burning red and the stuff where yeah. they kind of lost their identity. And it's funny, but then Chimera came out and all these bands started embracing like the traditional kind of Roadrunner sound. And then Machine Head put out the blackening and they started coming back. And yes. I, remember, I remember there was a tour when Chimera and Machine Head were co-headlining, but machine they were flip-flopping and i went to a show in la where machine head was opening for chimera and trivium was the opener of four. Oh shit you yeah. know to me to me it was just crazy i mean i love machine head i love rob i mean that first record man i remember the first time i heard it again that was in that early press gazette period when i had that relationship with roadrunner and i interviewed machine head and i i loved that first record and but yeah so to me those were the things watching it, it's so cool to see them kind of go through those different periods and, and and kind of roll with the punches. But I remember that. I remember I was at Steve Richards' office and he had the Machine Head demos. And I was like, are you, are you going to sign Machine Head? And he was like, Fuck no. He's like, nobody's going to sign Machine Head. You know what I mean? I was just like, that was so weird to me. But it was kind of the, the there it, it was a weird, it was a really weird time in music, man. Everybody was trying to find their footing and trying to find their way and well, figure someone, out what to do. Someone shine, someone's, Someone signed Machine Head. Oh, they! I think they just went back. Ended up going back to Roadrunner. I think they ended up signing back to Roadrunner. I thought it was Nuclear Blast after that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not looking at the back of my Machine Head. I don't know, my, my, Monty. Well, my point, Monty Connor. Where are you? Answer this for us. Yeah, my, I love my point. My point is was that that whole era of new metal that you're talking about it's kind of seemingly confusing to an older gent like me but the guys in machine head are my age so yeah. they're trying to be a contender amongst the the baby corns like cold chamber a baby yeah. corn you know and yeah. stuff like that uh, you know uh no disrespect to cold chamber because i i love that first record yeah um the point that i'm making is the same Machine Head and bands like Machine Head that I'm that I'm just too dumb to know uh, are because of my investment in Dave McLean and his tenor in the band. Um, they were they became something out of all of that weird confusion with the uh, the you know the the corn chat room that whole like like I said corkscrew was the word I used. It's kind of a lot of stuff pulled out of that and found their feet. And I don't even call Machine Head a new metal band. No, I, mean, I don't, Machine Head was they, they, they were yeah. they, they were kind of part of the genesis of that with the harmonics and the the really heavy. I mean, you know, I, new metal really it came from prong, Machine Head, mm -hmm. you know, Living Color, Faith No More. I, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's funny. Weird. I literally I, I yeah. sat in a hotel room with Head from Corn one night, and I'm like, dude. What influenced corn? And he was like, prong. I'm like, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny, all the mysteries of, of the world. On, and, and, and the funny thing, this was like two years ago, me and him were hanging out and we were just shooting the shit and just talking about it. And again, it's fun to look back as somebody who worked with them and as a huge fan and kind of look back in retrospect 20 some years later and talk to them about it. And I'm still learning things about music and these bands that I, you know, not only love, but I considered, you know, friends now, you know. I, I really like what you said earlier. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. And, and I probably won't ever forget it. I, I like that you said 
that and now new new metal has never been my genre of choice i'm i'm an older guy i'm a yeah. 70s 80s guy um there was some stuff in that mix that i liked and and i can appreciate some of the talent and all that stuff but i like what you said about that might be the last genre or era of music where bands actually could get famous and make a living at it. And I, I, I'd never thought of it that way, probably because I didn't pay much attention to that genre because it wasn't my thing, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you could argue that bands like obviously, you know, corn and disturbed and, and things like that, but stained and the Papa Roach and, uh, I mean, Head PE is still going today. It's not yeah. my thing, but they're still out on the road. And uh, I, that's an interesting, really interesting point because uh, I, I think it's valid and I would have never thought of that. Well, I, I think part of that is the mechanisms in the business for a band to get to that level just don't exist anymore. I mean, there's artists that do it. I mean, The Weeknd and Post Malone and, you know, but they're pop artists. I mean, I mean, rock, I mean, look, Ghost did. They kind of snuck in under the wire. But, I mean, Ghost has been around for a long, you know, I remember, you know, sitting with Rick Sales outside of Nam 10, 15 years ago, and he's like, man, I'm working with this band Ghost. They're amazing. They're going to be huge. And, and and I still remember that, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. a lot of those bands transcended new metal and, and, and just for became those that are For those that, that don't know who Rick Sales is, you want to say, I mean, I know who Rick Sales is. You want to mention that? Rick was the manager of Slayer for basically there and forever. A thousand years. Yeah. And he managed a bunch <laughs> of other bands too. And he's a yeah. good guy. And again, another guy who's always been really cool to me and been good to me. And, you know, but yeah, yeah. you know, I'm proud to consider an acquaintance. But yeah, we were sitting out Nam outside Nam one day and he was telling me about Ghost and I didn't know who the fuck they were. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and when I, when I hear Ghost now, I still think of Rick Sales telling me about him 15 well, years when, ago. Well, when they needed a, when they needed to take over America, when they needed to get into America, they, they said, well, who, who can we talk to to get, well, let's get the guy who manages Slayer. He, look what he did with a band that thought would never fly. Yeah. 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 Well, even it's funny, even Slayer, all those bands during that era, during the 2000s, the new metal era, for lack of a better term, mm. it was so interesting to watch the trajectory of those, just like Machine Head Slayer. Yeah. All, like, I remember a show at the Palace and it was Slayer, System of a Down, like all these bands were opening for Slayer. It was just such a weird, remember Tattoo the Earth? It was just this weird yeah. time where yeah. everybody was, I mean, that tour was like Slayer, Head BE. It was like all these. Yeah, but all these bands trying all the to new find metal their bands, way. All the new metal bands, open, you know, all the kids opening for the old men. Well, basically, yeah. that's what the second stage of OzFest was. Yeah, you're know? right. You're right. The, you're the right. second stage of OzFest was every band that Tom's been talking about today. Yeah. And, uh, and it was sort of a proving ground. Number one, it was a proving ground for those bands. And number two... Um, it, it it helped merge the crowds because guys like me were going to see Ozzy and Slayer and Pantera. And then the younger generation was coming to see uh, Cold Chamber. Slipknot and Cold Chamber. And, 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 and so they're there anyway, so they might as well go ahead and catch Ozzy or whatever, you know. And so uh, the, the OzFest, you know, you were talking about something early in the conversation where you were saying that, you know, there was a time in the 80s when an overweight kid couldn't be in a band because they didn't have the look or whatever. And I always thought that Lollapalooza was instrumental in breaking down some of those barriers because when I was a kid 
And when Jason was a kid, when you were in high school, if you were a metalhead, you had to have long hair or you weren't considered a metalhead. And then I remember Lollapalooza, you could have a shaved head, you could have dreadlocks, you could be, you could have a mohawk, uh, you could have hair down to your, to your, to your, your, your ass. And it didn't matter. What mattered was you were there for the music and all the tribes sort of connected. And I think OzFest kind of did that on a more, maybe more of an extreme music sort of level. But again, it sort of brought two dis- seemingly disparate audiences and two disparate generations, maybe, uh, together. And well, all that started, started it, Absolutely. It started, to add, it started to cross over uh, for real that uh, at that moment there were a lot of you know not to be confused with the genre if that be uh, even a household name anywhere it isn't it is around here uh crossover you know when when metal and punk started to really fuse and become well and hard and hardcore was a big part of that conversation and that melding at the time too hatebreed was coming out and earth crisis got huge for a minute and yeah uh, even uh, cattle decapitation, all those yeah. types of bands. Point. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that we're that we're talking about right now. That I feel like you were you were involved in, like the the you know this is a bunch of dust on the floor. I'm going to push together and tell everybody about it, and sooner or later, think you know it's going to be a phoenix, you know, rising from all these other little things. Um, that I think that you've always been real real good at is where we're kind of kind of going with this yeah well well, i appreciate that you know like i've always just sort of been in the right place at the right time had my eyes open and looking out to just develop things that were great and find things that were great and you know i've i've managed to you know if you're again your tentacles are out there enough you end up touching some things that are great and i've been really blessed to be in the right place at the right time with a lot of this stuff and at the, at the right period. And, 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 you know, yeah, it's been interesting, man. It's been well, a it's, it, really interesting ride. It goes, it goes right along with, with something I said earlier, I'm not patting myself on the back here, but what I'm trying to say is, is that if there's something that, that you're into Tom, if, if you're, if you think if it's worthy of your time and your love, you're just as a fan, as a believer, you know, someone I'll I'll drink the punch, you know, I'll I'll uh I'll do whatever I can to uh to you know, like like this uh this gentleman who's who's got this archive of photos that just has to be, you know, with these movies on on set movies since you know, that's a great idea that me or Dave wouldn't have thought of anything like that. So yeah. you're seeing you're seeing through all the all of the, the trees and recognizing something beyond there that that people should know about that might uh, buy the product and the idea that, you know, to, to, to create a product for them to buy, but for the right reason that coming from heart and blood and experience, I think that uh, is a, is a great reason that we invited you on the podcast today. No, I, I agree. Like art, you know, to me, great art is, everywhere and, and 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 it all comes from that same place you know i'm sure you don't know this david but i have a fucking dangerous toys tattoo on my cap you know I what i mean like I, again there's all this little <laughs> you know and and, and you know it, it, it's just you know that heart and soul that kind of comes full circle of getting to work with your idols and guys that you've worked up to i mean since i was a little fucking i mean i was fucking 13 years old i think when the 
fucking first dangerous toys record came out and again one of those things that changed my life and it just i went holy shit and there's just been this series of things through my you know 47 odd years that have done that and it's but yeah dude it's an honor to be here and talking about all this stuff but 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 again i just see see value in other places i mean i i, I kind of feel like you know, again, I've done a lot in music and I, again, it's, it's kind of funny what you're touching on and what I touched on earlier with the bands, you know, it, I, I was compared to like a, a, a hundred story skyscraper, but the top 70 stories are closed. You know what I mean? You can only get so far. You can only get so high. The elevator only goes to here. You can't get to these other floors. You have to have a special key that doesn't exist basically, you know, and that's why I, I kind of looked elsewhere now and i'm trying to just find other opportunities and other things and but but again art is sort of all encompassing whether it's music whether it's photography whether it's you know i i see art in you know cryptocurrencies and in in in, in different things and in the in the metaverse and these you know i i, I work with a company that just bought like this multi-billion dollar you know metaverse vr company that wants me to do stuff with them and I'm tying that into some other stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's, there's really interesting worlds out there, man, that I I think, you know, the future is going to dig. It's just figuring as an old man, just figuring out what these 15 year olds are going to be into next year, you know? Well, let's say, (laughs) let's say that there's somebody that, that wanted to find you and, and chat with you and talk your ear off about something that they may have or an idea that you have as far as, um, you know, your ideas uh, and just your way, um, do you have a website or anything? Do you, is there I, mean, I, I have Facebook, Tom Hazart. I mean, I'm yep. pretty easy to find. I'm, yeah, you are. All the Instagram, Facebook. I think I deleted my Twitter. I think I, I have Facebook and Instagram. That's pretty much it. But I mean, pretty easy were, to find on there and pretty accessible. There were a lot of a lot of artists that you were putting your stamp of approval on and really helping that were promising on on uh, on you know the five labels that you've run. So, yeah, 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 and it's always, you know, here's the thing that it says all about my taste. I mean, if you look at them, I've put out everything from Mark Slaughter to Doyle to, you know, Dangerous Toys stuff to. It's funny, a lot of it's, but you know, then I put up Malfunction stuff with Kevin, and it goes the gamut between extreme metal, grunge, you know, '80s hard rock. I, I, I mean, it's funny. My true love musically is probably you know and i go through phases i mean there was a period when i couldn't listen to 80s rock at all there's a period in the like 90s and 2000s where it just didn't work in my ears and then one day i woke up and i listened to it and and it worked again it was so weird but then there's a period like that with corn and new metal shit where i couldn't listen to it it was just distasteful to my ears and now i'm at this point where i can just kind of listen to everything and that's really cool you know what i mean my 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 you know, body doesn't reject anything, which is awesome. You know, it's yeah. Kind of- that's that's when the the owl becomes wise. I believe that an owl is not wise when it is from the egg. You know, you're right out of the egg. You're not wise yet. When does a, a an owl get wise? Well, only a wise owl knows. Well, that's it. And I think, you know, I jumped from kind of phase to phase. I went from, but I never really got out of it when, you know, there, there was that weird transition from the eighties into the nineties when pan, everybody acts like Nirvana came out and like metal just ended, but there was this oh. weird five-year period where Pantera and Alice in Chains and Motley Crue all, I mean, the self-titled Motley Crue album came out in 94. There was this period 
when this stuff all kind of just oddly coexisted, you know, yes. and that's, you yes. know. <laughs> yeah, it was Dr. Feelgood and Cowboys from Hell happening yeah. at the same time. Yeah, which were both well as, awesome. Which were both yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean Skid Row was involved. There was a lot of those a lot of players involved that was hard rock and heavy metal. Now, not all the all of the newer bands that had a new record deal lasted very long. No. But that's okay too. That's okay too. To create that longevity, um, your product has to uh feel like it's going to be consistent and you have to have more tricks. That's but there's good. some of those things like like South Gang. Look at Butch Walker. Look at what he managed to yeah. do. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's great. And, and even you, I mean, you've done so many different projects and so many different things. And it, it gets more and more embraced all the time. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's so funny that even those bands that came out and didn't have a, a lot of longevity, you know, the, you know, I mean, the, the they, they're now coming back and having literally every band that ever existed is pretty much back together, whether it's Danger Danger or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's a, if you like that stuff, it's kind of a renaissance for that, too, you know, which is great. I've got to see bands now that I never I never got to see Dangerous Toys back then. You know what I mean? I just you guys never came around me. You know what I mean? I've gotten to. So it is. It's kind of a renaissance for all, all the again, though. All those bands, if you were ever on MTV, if you were ever on Headbangers Ball, but again, it kind of comes back to the thing we were talking about, about you can't get to these floors. So any band that's ever been to those floors can still make a career out of that today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's happening. And, There's an audience. Uh, it, There's yeah, an audience. I, I think that, uh, I think that like people, people like you are very similar to, um, you know, Larry, who does the Monsters of Rock Cruise and the Monsters yeah. on the Mountain thing. And I think that there's enough people out there uh, as well as markets. If you can get the market to like, you know, because everybody has to fly to Miami yeah. or fly yeah. to L.A. to get on a boat. Well, that's the thing. It's limited because a lot of those guys, you know, they're older and they don't they're not going to get in a bus or a van and oh. go fuck around. They do weekend fly in dates. That's right. So it's. Yeah, exactly. You fly in, you do two or three shows, maybe you get in a van and drive two hours, you know, you do a weekend, but and you do a little circuit and then you go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom, I gotta, I, I gotta ask you real quick. I keep I notice that you keep waving your hand and on the top of your hand that that would be your left hand. Is that is that spider from the cold album cover? It is. I actually have a gold record for it hanging up over there too. It's in the other I room. But yeah, I, yeah. I worked on the first two cold records. You yep. know that actually the you, first three. And you know that Sam Sam McCandless lives, lives here, here in, in Texas and yeah. Uh, yeah. I, worked with me at the School of Rock for years. I, I love I love, I love Sam, man. I yeah, mean, Sam's good. When, when he honestly, when he left the band, that was when I was kind of. You know, and I had some less than spectacular experiences with Scooter and yeah, but Sam is great, man. He's one of the yes. greatest. Yes. Yeah. Well, man, okay. I, I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you today. I didn't know what to expect. Jason speaks very highly of you, and and for good reason, as I can tell now. Um, and I did a little research on you prior to the to the show today. And I, I got to say, I was like, I don't even know where to start with this guy because he's done it all. And now having talked to you now for an hour and a half, I, I, I can see why you've done it all uh, because your passion drives you in so many different directions. And I just love talking to somebody who's so enthusiastic about music, 
regardless of the genre. I mean, if you were if you were doing all of this for country western music or hip hop or whatever, I'd still be just as intrigued. I just love seeing passion ooze out of somebody, and you've got that in spades, man. So thanks. Well, thank for, you. I, I appreciate for, that. Yeah, you know, thanks for thanks for hanging with us today, man. Thank yeah. you. It's been it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you guys. And again, you can find me on social media. And I doubt anybody will really want to talk to me. But if you do, you can find me. It's pretty easy. <laughs> I think I think it's important. You yeah, may, don't underestimate yourself, man. I, I I didn't really know you before today, and I'm you know I'm intrigued. I, I might just look for you on Instagram and start following. Oh please, you. add <laughs> me. I, you know, I, I I I, I, I got to get back into post tomorrow on Instagram. I, I don't. I barely even post. I've been so. In the past year, I've just been kind of on the self-imposed. This is the first interview I've done, Jason, in over a year. I mean, the last one I did was on Mark Mendoza's podcast, like last February. It's literally been over a year, a I year, think, since right. I've been, since I've done an interview. So mm-hmm. this is it. Wow. That's well, why I. That's why I can't shut up. Apparently, it's all been bottled up for a year. <laughs> well, that's good. No, it's good for us. We, I, you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Hopefully I'll get to meet you in person one day if uh, COVID ever allows us to travel and uh, you come to Texas or I get out your way or whatever. But uh, Definitely, definitely. Our paths will cross, man. It was great meeting you. Jason, thank you. Thank you as always. Of course. And, uh, dude, I love that Faster Pussycat poster, by the way. I've been staring uh, at that. Yeah. So cool. I love it. I've had that poster forever. Uh, a friend of mine named Adrian Cogdale gave that to me when I was in high school. And uh, I got to give her a shout out because I had to have it. She actually introduced me to Faster Pussycat. Real quick story. That album came out right around this time. The first album came out right around the time of Guns N' Roses. And I was all about Guns N' Roses. And, she, and so was she. And one day she came to pick me up and I got in her car and she had the cassette of the first Faster Pussycat album. She goes, if you like Guns N' Roses, you're going to freak out on this. And I looked at the album cover and I looked at the guys and I was like, there's no way I'm going to like this. Look at these friggin' guys, man. Jesus Christ. And she put it on. And the first thing I heard, and I was like, oh, my God, that guitar sounds like a chainsaw. And then Tammy starts singing. And I'm like, I'm done, man. It's one of my favorite records of all time. So it really is, man. Those guys just had something up. There's just something about that record. I mean, just lyrically, they had so much attitude. The guitar. I mean, yeah. who, I wonder who produced that record. Rick Brody. Uh, Rick Brody. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Yep. What a great yeah. sounding record. Yeah. I lo- well, you know, you can say the same thing about the first Motley Crue record. I, I love the sound of it because one of the things that's beautiful about albums like that is they were recorded on such a shoestring budget and you never wanted them to change. When they got some money and, and poured it into an expensive studio and got polished, all, all that dirt went away. And you're like, oh, wait yeah. a minute, what happened to the band that I was, you know, I fell in love with on the debut album? Sometimes the results are better. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes you could take it or leave it, but they never got back to that real dirty street sound that was yeah. born, born out of necessity, which is well, basically- you, you can say that about Metallica, about Anthrax, about everybody. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? Like they all, all those bands in Maggie Death, all those bands in that era made their shoestring budget first record. They're killing is my business. They're kill them all. Yeah. That they never made again. But I, look, I think all, I think they all went on to make great records again but yeah you always miss that little bit of for me the nostalgia is always in that first record period whether it's faster pussycat whether it's metallica whether it's motley i I mean 
for me, Motley, the nostalgia is in Too Fast for Love and Shout of the Devil. I mean, those yeah. are kind of, sure. that's my era, you know? But yeah, to me, the nostalgia is always kind of in that first album, you know, when they were just this raw fucking animal just yep. growling yeah. at the world, you know? Couldn't agree more. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. I'm Metal Dave Glessner with my co-host, Jason McMaster. We'd like to give a special thanks to our special guest today, Tom Hazert, man of many hats in the rock and roll business. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. 